Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Daigle Bites ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Daigle Bites! Oh, I, I, I hear you say, I hear you say, look up, child. Hey, everybody. This is Michael here from Team LD, and I work with Lauren to produce Daigle Bites. You're about to hear part two of the Look Up Child anniversary episode. In case you missed part one, this is an extension of a conversation between Lauren and Lee Holt, who is Lauren's manager. Their chat picks up right where part one left off. So if you haven't, go back and check that out. Remember to make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode, and you can send in your own questions to podcast at laurendagle.com. Thanks so much, and enjoy the episode. What Look Up Child represents is the large amount of change, I would say, um, from the diversity of the songs to finding sounds that I love more um, and feeling like I really got to dive in a little bit deeper creatively for this record, Um, but also just getting to share the music with such a wide group of people and hearing thoughts and um, stories and you know, moments where these songs have intersected people's lives. It it really has been one of the most profound things I've ever been a part of. I think often about a lot of experiences that I've gotten to be a part of because of singing and doing music and because of this record. And um, it's meant a lot, to say the least. Okay, so we have a question that uh, you answered in Knoxville, Tennessee, and that question was, what was your favorite song to write from Look Up Child? You know, they say songs are like children. You love them all, but you like them in a different way. I would say I loved writing Look Up Child. That's my favorite. That's your favorite? (laughs) Well, I always say rescue, so maybe I just, you know, knew what you liked. Uh, I loved writing Rescue, but I really loved writing Look Up Child because it came, it came com- kind of out of nowhere because it's like reggae, you know, so it has a different feel to it. But it, it was one of my favorite songs to write. I love the message too. So moving along on this timeline, so we're taking everyone on the journey. In October is when you signed a mainstream record deal. You're presenter at the AMAs. And then we did a taping at Ellen. Um, and so I want to show you a video real quick. Um, we're going to sit here for just a second. Um, oh wait, it's on my computer. When we flew out to California for, to tape Ellen, I had some other news for you that I got to share with you when we landed. Do you remember? I mean, this whole, the whole series of this part of our life was like, every day was like some big surprise and something insane and some big moment. Like, Oh, Jimmy Fallon. Yep. Yeah. I remember the tonight show. I ran in about 200 circles. I was literally going into Ellen. (laughs) That's amazing. Um, Yeah. We just found out that. I came around Jimmy Fallon. I say, why? I don't understand. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy. It. You're doing it. We're doing it. Oh my gosh. Turn it around. That's okay. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> oh, that's okay. First of all, my hair. My hair looks so much. 
get crazier. The red like hair purple face. red. And then second of all, I look like a child. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Thank you, Look Up Child, for taking me on tour and aging me about 10 years. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. it is that is freaky looking back. Yeah. Yeah, that wow, crazy? that was fun. That was oh, a fun moment. And then remember, there was, was so a silent fun. rave on the beach. Yes, we went to a silent, silent rave, rave on the beach, <laughs> like with my security guard. I was yep. like, I'm gonna go be a part of this, and I'm gonna jump in the ocean at night, and I'm gonna put on the funky glasses, and we're gonna like dance all night long. Yeah, so much fun. All the night before the Ellen show. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, you gotta live your best life. So speaking of uh, Ellen, so um, this is kind of this was interesting as I did this. Um, we in December of 2018. So you shot, we shot and did the Ellen show in October. I think it aired right at the end of October. And then in, in December of 2018, um, this was crazy looking at this timeline. We're out on the behold tour. Um, again, a lot of, we're on the rise, like all these TV shows, all these opportunities, all these mainstream interviews. And there was a mainstream interview that broke that a lot of people were unhappy with the way that you responded to some questions. And what's fascinating as I looked back on December 1st is when news broke of that interview. And a lot of people were very unkind to you. Um, and it was just a real low. And then five days later is when we were in Orlando and you got your two Grammy nominations. Oh, wow. So what was it like to have like wow. in a five day span one of the lowest lows of this whole two-year process. And then one of the, the highest. highest highs. Maybe that's why I've been in physical therapy, <laughs> like for whiplash. <laughs> I think, uh, what is the cup child meant to you? Whiplash. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's insane. It's so weird when you put it, when you lay it out like this mm -hmm. and when you can see like exactly what happened piece by piece by piece. Yep. Because yeah, this was, it was definitely, I remember flying home and like staying in bed for like three days straight, yep. went to my parents' like house. Morning. Yeah. I really felt like, wow. I, it was like morning, um, an element of innocence, mm -hmm. like f up until that point, everything was very cordial, mm -hmm. um, between me and social media and the public. And there hadn't been anything that was kind of upsetting or painful, so I remember thinking, wow, I didn't think that something this critical would come into my career. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I didn't think I was exempt from it. I just thought, oh, my my people, the people surrounding me, the supporters of this music and everything, they're just so kind. And yeah. I just don't know how that's going to happen. And, um, you know, in those kind of moments, it makes you nervous for the future because you're like, I... Now I watch every single thing that I say. And it's unfortunate because every person gets a filtered version of me now. Yeah, yeah. Like it, that version of me was just fluid and free. And yeah. I could speak, you know, um, actually with more conviction mm -hmm. in a way, because yeah. it was like, it was actually a real straight from, straight from the heart, yeah. you know, space. Whereas now everything is like curtailed and, I think about every single thing I say before I speak, you know, and I don't think that's a way to live. And I'm sure eventually I will get out of that. Um, I was sitting with Doug Morris and he said, do you know what this allows you to do is it actually allows you to speak the truth? Yeah. 
He said, and people will be able to sniff it a mile away if you don't speak exactly what you think from this point forward because you've already broken the seal. Mm -hmm. Like now that you've had backlash and now that you've experienced that thing from this point forward, all you have to do is just say the truth now. And um, not to negate, that's not going back backwards. That's just to say he was very encouraging in that sense as like, once it happens, yeah. like once you've already broken the seal on that, you're able to move forward with um, what you actually believe. Yeah. And I was like, okay, that feels good. Like, mm-hmm. so in some ways I've been timid and I've hidden words. And then in other ways, it's like, all right, here we are. This is just, it is who I am, you know? Um, and then on the flip side of that, getting those Grammy nominations and then winning those Grammys. It was like, what is happening? I just remember thinking, wow, there is so much to this. Like, <laughs> how? who knew that the ends of the spectrum could be so wide, you know? Yeah. And I just beg. I'm like, God, please let the next record be, like, have this much brevity to it. Yeah. Because it is what you live for. Like, yeah. it is a very polarizing and perplexing and there's moments where you're like in a washing machine but those moments are are what you live for yeah and um as difficult as they can be sometimes and as like fatiguing as it can all be the whiplash of it all it's it is also in some weird wild way very rich you know and so i there are probably things that i would change if i looked back on this like 20 years from now you know but as far as those kind of things I feel like it's part of the story. Yeah. And so for that, I really, I'm so grateful. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that's it. I, yeah, I was shocked when I looked at the timing of it all and mm-hmm. saw how, how like that was, lit- I mean, I remember where I was, your brother is the one who texted me and said, Haley, you've got to check this out and sent me a link to, yeah. the, to some of the things that were coming out online. And I was like, I was in Atlanta. Wow, I didn't know he did and that. You were uh, you were out on the Behold tour, and I called you the next day, yeah. and we kind of had to just like walk that out. Oh yeah, uh, ultimate denial. Me, <laughs> I, I started off saying, "Oh, it's okay. It's not. It's fine. I'm not." You're like, mm, "No, no, no, boo. It, this isn't about your feelings right now. Uh, this is about the whole industry's about to." <laughs> freak out on you. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, it's okay. No, it's not okay. Been there, done that. You were kind of angry at me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, your anger was coming towards Towards you. It's okay. It was, I mean, it was, it was unprecedented. Yeah, that's very true. (laughs) We never, sorry. No, it's okay. It's okay. Who knew? I mean, I had no idea what was going to, golly, what was going to come after that. But yeah, yeah, that is wild. There was something else I was thinking about if it comes to mind, yeah. I'll mention it. But there was one other thing that just passed right before you said Brandon. Yeah. I'll remember it though. Yeah. We can, and we'll. Right. So, yeah. Some of the, that is a wild time. So then we go into 2019, if we haven't done enough yet on this record. Golly. <laughs> yeah. We go into 2019 and we start off January and you play Carnegie Hall. Oh. So. So we do this stretch in January to February where we go from Carnegie Hall to play the Music Cares event um, at the Grammys and then to winning two Grammys. And I don't want to like talk about all the things that we've talked about and you've said before, but what most people do not know is how sick you were oh my for about 30 days. Like literally when you think about it, you start, you got sick really at Carnegie mm-hmm. and it didn't go away until the end of, of, February. of February. 
And so the question is, how do you push through being so sick, but still having to show up and perform? Oh my gosh. Uh, through a lot of anxiety attacks. (laughs) That's the reality. (laughs) Um, I remember this time specifically. So Carnegie Hall, I remember we had over 250 people in the choir that had flown in from all over the world. Like people from Australia volunteered to, to come and be a part of this choir and people from South America, Canada, just all over the world flew in. And then we had over 32 people in the orchestra and we go to into rehearsal. And I remember being like, huh, why I can't get my flip register. Like something's not right. What's going on? And I'm practicing with my vocal coach and warming up. She's like, calm down. Like it's going to be fine. I'm like, wait, this is one of, this is one of those moments where it's like, it's not like, Oh, my voice is tired and I just need to warm it up. Like it's an early morning start. This is like, I'm, I have lost my voice and I don't know how, like, cause I had done my best to sleep. Like I remember being very yeah. diligent just to honor so many people giving their time and well, resources just to be there. A break. Like we had like three weeks off. Yeah. So it was like coming into it fresh to start the year. Yes. It was our first Carnegie was the first thing we did in 2019. Yes. I remember coming off. Yeah. Coming back refreshed and, and no, not refreshed. I was like, something's off with my voice. It was that morning. I was like, something's not right. Come to find out, we started the show at seven, was it? Yeah. Or meet and greets or something. Started at seven. Well, the meet and greets, there were meet and greets the day before. Remember we did that? Whole okay. Day. You met the whole choir the day before. So it maybe it was the and industry then, one. And then, yeah. And then you had the whole full rehearsal. Yeah. That day. Yeah. And as I'm singing the day of, like, this is when I'm warming up with my vocal coach. I'm like, my flip, the flip voice is gone. Like my top register is gone. What's going on? I remember just being like, something is off. And then I go into rehearsal and it got to the point where my sound, my front of house sound guy, Todd Wines comes to me and he said, Hey, how are you feeling? I was like, good. You know, cause I'm like, can't show any sign of freak out. And I got to keep it together. And I'm like, you know, just something, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I feel a hundred percent, but something's off. He's like, yeah, I can tell. And I'm like, Oh, great. And he's like, I think you should stop singing. Like you're starting to progressively sound way more like hoarser and hoarser, more hoarse and more hoarse by the hour. And I'm like, okay, you know, but the thing about Carnegie Hall is you don't have all of the technology in your ears to keep you on track. Like it is pure. And that's what makes it so rich and inviting and, challenging and perfect. It's, it's the fact that you are listening to every downbeat on the drum. You are following the, the orchestra. You are paying attention to the choir. Like there's so many things you have to be mindful of because there's not like a click track in your ear saying chorus in three, two, one, you know, so it's very deliberate. So put that pressure. Like Mm -hmm. if I mess up the part, a part of the song, then I have you know, 440 people that are now completely off on all of their sheet music because you have to go buy sheet music. And that's a lot of pressure. But then on top of that, lose your voice. Yeah. Okay. So here we are and it's five o'clock. 
and I'm supposed to be show ready by seven. And I remember looking at you. I had a full cry. Yeah. I was like, I, this yeah. isn't good. Like I've lost, I've lost my voice. Yeah. And, um, here we are rushing in five o'clock traffic in New York city yep. to go get a steroid shot yep. just to power through. And then the next day, sure enough, I got the flu. Got the flu. So it was like, my body was, like was getting the flu and I just wasn't aware cause I was riding adrenaline so yeah. hard. And I'm like, why is my voice going? Why? Oh, it's cause you got the flu. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that was the next month. Yeah. And I did the Grammys. Yeah, I did the music cares sang, and then Jimmy we Kimmel, Jimmy Kimmel, and then we started the tour in Seattle. Yeah, all within those couple yeah. of weeks to yeah. all the tour rehearsals. It was all within three weeks, and that started the most difficult time mm-hmm. of my career, probably ever on the road. One of them. Yeah. Um, and it that was just painstaking. Um, so what that produced though is having to get up on stage and face like your greatest fear every single for every song. Like I'm losing my voice in front of people. I'm losing my voice in front of people. It's one thing when you lose your voice or when you go get a surgery or whatever, and you have to stay on vocal rest for six months, but you're by yourself and you're kind of doing anything. It's another thing when you are actively losing your voice in front of a paying audience that has given their time, their resources, their travel, all of that to be, to come and be engaged and we um, had just approved all the rest of the shows for the year. Yeah. Like we had just, we were just announcing the Lauren Dega world tour, yeah. which was taking us Europe and yeah. all that. And I, here I am thinking, yeah. I don't know if I'm going to have a voice by the end of the year, yeah. if I don't get yeah. a hold of this. And these are the things that artists don't talk about. Like mm-hmm. these are those things like you got to keep quiet. You can't let anyone know, like you got to keep yeah. it a secret um, because you don't want to, you know, lose your cloud or for some reason we're meant to be superhuman or something. I don't get it. But yeah, those are struggles that like lots of artists go through and you have to get up and actively face like one of the greatest moments of fear in front of everyone. Like I have the potential to fail all of you right now, um, and get booed or get, you know, coffee thrown at you or, you know, whatever, like you just never really know what's going to happen. Yeah. culture is, is not awful. good. It's like yeah. wildfire. It can. And it's not like pre-social media days, you have a bad vocal night. Nobody yeah. can tell anybody, but the other people in their town. Yeah. Now if you have a bad vocal night, it's splattered Everywhere. on video yes. across YouTube. Yeah. And so just living, like living with that pressure, it's like, okay, what did Aretha Franklin do? Like yeah. there was literally <laughs> moments where I'd be like, what did these women who like smoke cigarettes like chimneys yeah, and like drink yeah time. like yeah. what did they do when you know they had a night where like their voice yeah. was raw and rough like how did they sing through it and persevere without damaging yeah like and I don't know if you can like I still don't but um I do know that uh Jesus gave me an angel with extra long wings and her name is Jenny Makala. <laughs> yeah, and she is the one that helps me through those scenarios and teaches me how to kind of sing as healthy as possible under that kind of duress, you know? Yeah. So yeah, that's just a lesson in facing your fear. Yeah. And not only having to do it alone, but do it publicly. Mm-hmm. Like that's and, and I think you learned to like to allow the team to come around you and yeah. support you. I think that was a big step of faith yes. with the 
Because as yeah. as we've talked to this whole timeline over all this time, like your team has grown and grown and grown yeah. and grown. So now you're in a position where it's like, okay, I can lean on a Todd to help me yeah. find a house. I can lean on Austin was our production manager at the time. Yeah. I can lean on these people around me in the band and yeah. the girls to help sing, like to help Boost. work with yeah. you on the singing. Like, And you know what else is pretty interesting is... I feel like God always takes you back. He has a crazy way of taking you back to your greatest fears so that you can overcome them. Because same thing happened. Um, We went, we did that leg of the tour again. Mm -hmm. um, And we were back up in Seattle and doing a West Coast run. And sure enough, I get sick and I start to lose my voice. But instead of like suffocating from the fear that caused even more vocal trouble, I made it through with like sailing colors. Like no one would have known that I was hoarse and sick that second time around. And, and I remember there was so much more peace because I thought, well, God, if you were with me through it the first time, and if you sent all this, my entire team around me to kind of like work through that, even though it was terrifying this next time, it was kind of like, Oh, been there, done that. Like it really wasn't as overwhelming and yeah overpowering and so now i don't get nervous if yeah. i catch a cold or the flu whenever i right go on stage you know yeah which is a big deal that is a big deal because <laughs> for whenever it's like you know think about when you have a stop stopped up nose how do you sing doing that yeah. i don't know but jenny somehow gets <laughs> me to do it <laughs> so moving on so in uh, March, you played the Ryman. That was a big deal. And April, we did all the mainstream radio promo tour, which was exciting. And then you did Jazz Fest for the first time, which was cool to be able to go yeah. back to New Orleans. And, that was epic. Yeah. That was epic. Talk a little bit about that. Like the, the, what I want you to talk about is you played a lot of, you played in Louisiana a ton of times. But what made that one special, more special than the other Louisiana shows? I remember going to Jazz Fest years ago and seeing John Mayer. And thinking to myself, and I went with all my Louisiana friends and thinking to myself, golly, this, this like festival is so incredible. And my cousin comes in from North Carolina every single year to go to it, you know? And so I remember like, you want to make your people the most proud, right? Like my Louisiana natives, like those are the ones that I care so much about because you have this very similar uh, cultural tie that you want to honor with the people around you. And so I feel like they know what I came from. So I got to serve them well. Right. And it's obvious if, if they don't like you as well. So there's like kind of that, yeah, I don't know that tension. That's, that was fun. And so to get out, I remember asking, I think I asked you or somebody, maybe one of the stage guys, crew guys, I said, are, are people out there? Yeah, yeah, I remember you And they're like, like, yeah, 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 because I was like, I'm, I'm Louisiana native, and I want to like love all yeah. my people, but they might not know who I am. Like in my yeah. mind, I was like, but they don't necessarily know who I am. First mainstream festival. Yeah, yeah. So I had no idea what what to expect. Yeah. So the fact that like Jazz Fest was the first mainstream one, it was like, whoa, this yeah. is could be very intimidating, but yeah, there let's could be just 30 do people it. There, yeah, literally, because you're competing with a. You know, a all huge, the other stages and yeah. all these other big names. And- yeah. And I, nobody, I don't know. I just didn't know if anybody knew who I was at the time. So I walk out on stage and there's like 30,000 people yeah. or something. How many? 10,000 something. It was, like it was a like lot. 10,000 deep on your stage. Yeah. yeah. And I remember thinking to myself, 
oh my gosh, people came. And the fun part was that like I do every festival, I get off stage and then I go into the festival and like go enjoy it like everyone else. And, um, I had so many people come up and be like, wait, were you the girl that was just on stage? I was like, yeah. Like, oh, we loved your set. And I remember thinking like, oh, like not only did I get to play at home, but like they actually liked it. Like people actually liked it, you know? So that was, that was really fun. And I think what's again, fascinating about this journey. And if you're in music, you understand this, but like that was like April 27th on May 1st, you did the billboard awards flew straight from jazz fest to new Orleans or from new Orleans Orleans. to Vegas. And then on May 9th, we're in Berlin for your first international show. And do you remember the response after the show? Oh my gosh. And can you tell people about like, Hey, just your first. (sighs) So now again, you start this in a, in a Knoxville, Tennessee, in a, you know, in a locker room, yeah, being told that this is going to be a journey of identity and like kind of then a vision yeah. and getting with writers. And now you're in Berlin yeah. after, you know, 10 days after you're in your hometown playing <laughs> this big hometown crowd. And now we're in Berlin in front of like 500 people yeah. sold out. So we sold out every European date. Um, what was that like? Yeah. And having left the the billboard. The bill, yeah, like, I'm, I'm totally glossing over the billboards. I'm not even like, like, like for, singing for the sake it. of everyone's time. Yeah, I know. Okay, this is getting long winded. Um, um, yeah, billboards, holy cow. And then being international. This is my first time ever launching an international leg of a tour, yeah. ever. First international show. That was mine. And I remember at the end, they, everyone, when, you know, we play the walkout music, like, in the house or whatever. And everyone had a dance party and I went out and like danced with everybody. And it was so much fun. Like talk about deep lovers of music, like Europeans, they love it and express it. That's what, that is what is so beautiful about touring over there is like, they just genuinely love music. And so I felt like like we started off at such a peak moment. Yeah. That was one of my favorite shows ever. Yeah. Ever. That was so cool. Yeah. And speaking of international, we have a question from, we're going to kick it to a Q and a question um, from, and you answered this one in Brisbane. Um, and the question was, do you ever actually listen to and get encouraged by your own songs? In short? Yes. Um, I think it's so funny when artists don't listen to their own music because I'm like, well, if you're sharing it with everybody else, shouldn't you want to know what everybody else is receiving? You know, um, sometimes it's, I can understand that work can get in the way and you start to critique things and you hear it different. But for some reason with this record, with Look Up Child, um, that hasn't gotten in the way. And I, I really, I enjoyed making that record so much so that, so now every time I listen back to it, it just brings me joy because I can reflect on those memories and reflect on how it went from one place to the next and all the different levels and phases of, of the songwriting process and producing and things like that. Um, so yes, I do listen back and I do get inspired. I do not listen to it every day. I would say I maybe listen to it like twice a year, <laughs> but it is still very fulfilling. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Okay, back to the timeline. 
Um, we are playing festivals. You go to Alaska and you shoot a music video. Um, that was pretty cool. In July of 2019, you launched the Price Fund, yes. which is, you know, big heart of everything that we do here is, you know, to give back. Um, and then we did Lollapalooza and Outside Lands and the question. So much fun. The question about summer festivals I want to ask you is that we made the choice to play a lot of the big secular festivals. How do you stay steady and focused when people do not understand or approve of the choices we're making? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think there's times where you have to know that you make the wrong decision. I think giving yourself like that freedom to say, okay, I probably, I probably could have done that better, or maybe I should have considered this or, you know, um, like giving yourself that freedom, but also knowing that you really like, if you surrender and keep everything like, God, is this what you want me to do? He will always have your back. Yeah. He really does. He is faithful just to cover up those mistakes or cover up those places that you're like, Oh, I could, I could have done this better. You know, he is patient with us. And I feel like if, if we gave patience and grace to people like how he does to us, yeah. we would see a much different world, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think how, like looking back, I look at those times as like intimate moments. Um, I look back at those times and think, God, thank you for letting me be a part of something like this. And in looking forward, Lord, like, let me honor you with every single thing that I do. Let it continue on the journey of just honoring you and like telling more people about you and giving people hope that actually lasts like through the the worst of times, through the most difficult of times. Like, how do I continue to share that message? Like one of the greatest messages of all time, um, real truth, like truth that permeates noise. Like that is what I want to be a part of delivering. And so as these opportunities present themselves, like it's constantly staying in a space of, okay, God, I want more people, people who might not ever step into a church. Like I want them to know your goodness. Mm -hmm. Um, and in that, keep me humble in that, keep me on the straight and narrow, like keep me focused on the things that you would have me do. That's kind of the prayer behind it all. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I I think that a lot of times when we're sitting in the business meetings and we're, we're making our decisions on how to chart the course, it's always about impact. Mm -hmm. And it's always about like what, you know, if we're presented with 10 things, we might say yes to three, but what are the three that have the most impact? Yeah. And because you're trying to do this in a steady and balanced manner, that's one of the things I admire about you is that you have always been very steady on the fact that you're like, I'm going to be a part of my family. I'm going to be a part of my community. I'm going to keep my friendships and I'm going to have a career, Mm -hmm. but I'm not going to just have a career. I'm not going to just have my friends and family. And so I think that that, because we're always constantly measuring that, but then it's like, yeah. okay, then what are the things we can do that will have the most impact? Impact, Because yeah. we can't say yes to 10 things. Yeah. We just can't. You're one person. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, that was the difference, yeah. too, between, like, earlier in the podcast when we were talking about the 40 people versus yeah. I want an opportunity that serves the 400 million. Yeah. Like, let's just do that. It's because those specific decisions reach so many people and share truth to so many people. Um, and they advocate for the best. It's like time well, well spent, you know? Um, it's not that the 40 people aren't important because the 40 people are always important. I would, I've God went after the one, you know? So I'm all about that. 
Um, but there are definite seasons where it's like, okay, God, one lady said it best on Instagram. She talked about the whisper versus the yell, like God spoke in thunder and lightning. And then he also spoke with a still small voice and like comparing that to specific seasons. God, is this like a thunder and lightning season where it's like, you know, we take everything by storm or is it like a whisper season where I actually am just like alone in my Mm -hmm. house writing songs to you? Like knowing when the seasons are supposed to be there, what season to embark upon. Um, And they might look different from the way that your audience or, you know, critics perceive that it should be. Um, But that's where, that's where it's between you and God and, and what he's carving out for you to live, you know? Yeah. No, that's so good. Um, so then September of 2019, we announced your world tour, the Lauren Dagan world tour, your first arena tour. Um, and then you embarked on a long road trip to Europe. <laughs> it's like 26 <laughs> days of touring and promo shows. Um, and then uh, we kicked off end of the year in Hawaii and New Orleans. Um, so we start off 2020. By going to Australia. Yeah. Well, we started off actually. Yeah. We did a platinum. Congratulations. Look up Charles. Platinum. Did a platinum party. And then we went to New Orleans just for a moment. For a little bit. For for a little song. Little national anthem moment. (laughs) I'm literally looking at you like, like, what's the moment? Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm going to say two career highs. Well, there's, there's multiple, but the two that I reflect upon most often singing at Stateville prison, that is like unbelievable. One of my favorite moments. And second is singing the national anthem for my team, the Tigers, and having my whole family be there. I remember when I was at LSU, my mom would say to me, one day I want you to sing the national anthem for one of the football games. And I say, mom, I can't, I can't. Cause that's in like LSU from Tigerland, yeah. Tiger band from Tigerland or whatever. When they come out, like yeah. Tiger band, it's their moment to shine mama. And she was like, I know, I just, I think it could be so amazing. I remember her telling me that when I was younger. And so to sing <laughs> not only for one of the games, but for the national championship in New Orleans, in New Orleans yeah. like in, oh my gosh, yeah. I can't talk about it. I'm going to freak out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so, I, I texted, um, uh, Jeff, the, this guy that he sold me my car and it's, he's an LSU fan. He's an LSU fan. And like that was in January. Mm-hmm. It's August about to be August. Yeah. Are we in August? Yeah, it's tomorrow. Okay. <laughs> Phew. I don't know what day it is. Anyway. For those listening at home. <laughs> <laughs> for those of, uh, anyway, so he texts me this many months late, later and it's like, how about that LSU win, huh? Yeah. <laughs> it's so like, funny. it's still alive and yeah. well. So we, anyway. So we kicked off this year in um, Australia and we were talking about this earlier, but I want to talk about it on the podcast. Like the idea, I remember being in a field in New Zealand 
And I pulled out the Google Maps app and, you know, on the top, it always says home. And I just pushed the button for home. And it was like 9,606 miles from home. And I'm standing in this field and you were playing Tremble and I cried. Um, (laughs) So I guess it always comes back to that. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember being like these, all these songs were written within five miles of my house. Yeah. You know, like where Jason and Paul live and like. I'm like, all these songs have been written five miles from my house. And now I'm 9,606 miles from that house. And everyone in the field, I mean, there's like 5,000 people at this festival in New Zealand. You were the headliner, are singing every oh. word to every song, plus the songs that we haven't even released. Yeah. Like, I, and I just, that, I can't imagine what it was like for you to be on stage. Yeah. How is that like for you Gosh. to be on stage? Just like the dreams that you had from a little girl to the dreams that you had in the writing rooms to like living it out. That was one of my favorite shows. That was one of my favorite shows for a couple of reasons. One was actually because of the meet and greet Mm -hmm. prior. That meet and greet was one of the richest experiences I've ever had. We met this beautiful soul, Kaylee. And she, oh gosh, she just rocked our worlds. And, you know, I feel like God puts people in your path that reminds you of your purpose Mm -hmm. and why it is that you are to share his goodness with people. And she was one of them. She lit a fire in me that I was like, I got to get out on that stage. Like it was just like, Oh wow. God, this is amazing. And, um, she was definitely someone I still to this day admire and one of my favorite shows. And so to see that that record took shape that far away from home, like in that way, not just like, Oh wow, it's a great song. It was like, also God's going to show you this girl. You're going to meet this person who's like fighting for her life, but giving of everything she can to love on other people and to give them an opportunity in the world. And like to see that somehow your journey gets crossed with someone like that because of Mm -hmm. the music. That's what's profound to me. Like that's what makes, makes those kind of shows insane. And then to step out on stage and hear everyone sing and dance and cheer. It's just like, what <laughs> is happening? It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. So I've got only one more question and okay. we're going to do rapid fire. Okay. Cause you, but it has to be true rapid fire. Okay. One word answers. One word answers. Okay. Okay. But the last question before we do rapid fire is when are you going to put out another record? Um, could you ask my publicist thing? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, Phone the publicist. Uh, uh, no, that's actually, I mean, it is a good question. I'm sure everyone who's question. listening actually really wants to know. Um, but um, are you ready to do all this again? <laughs> I was like, I actually am like yeah. hearing it all. I told I'm like, Liz, oh, it's time for me to get to the studio. I told Liz, Liz and Michael from our team actually do all the work on the podcast. They make it actually happen. And I told Liz this afternoon, I said, man, showing her this timeline might actually backfire on us when she sees no, how much we opposite. have to do. I opposite. I'm like, wow, this is how engaged my life was. Yeah. Hey, why don't we talk about the last thing? February arena, arena tour. tour. What sold are we ending? Let's tour. talk about this. Okay. Yeah. Sold out arena tour. I mean, we're talking, we're playing Madison square garden. Yep. We're playing all these places that we're going to Brazil. We're going to yeah. Tokyo, going all around the world. Every single thing that all like 2015, when we started this timeline, all amounted to gets ripped out from underneath us. 
Um, the rug just full on pulled out from under us. Now I'm a professional tie-dye maker. Yeah. Now you're a professional tie-dye maker. She made this sweatshirt that I'm wearing in her t-shirt. We are about it. Go to madjet.com for your merch today. Um, and when you think like, wow, God, we had gone through so much, both great highs, lots of adversity, all of the things. And then we finally get to this epicenter of what all of this felt like it was amounting to and it all implodes. That feeling is something that I could not have asked or, or I could not have seen in a million years. Um, and I am sitting here in the middle of it. Like, wow, God, what do you do when a dream feels like it isn't dying because of something you've done, but it's dying because of everything else that's going on. Yeah. All external factors. And it's completely out of your control, like completely out of your control. And you know what the funny thing is just sitting here looking at it is that goes all the way back to October of 2015 Mm -hmm. because the whole purpose of you say the whole reason why that was was written was so that the dream of who I was Mm -hmm. like Louisiana Lauren that that person wouldn't die. Yeah. The pure childlike nature. Yeah. All of that. Based on all of these external factors. So it's really interesting that it's like actually a full 360. Um, and you know, I have to look at it as like the dream's not dying. It's just evolving or it's Mm -hmm. changing or it just looks different than what we had planned and cheers to making lemonade out of lemons, you know? Um, and figuring out ways to do that. And I guess the best way to do that is probably to go write a record. <laughs> I guess that's the best way you to do it. Your first uh, coming September. Of <laughs> no, just kidding. Just kidding. Oh, my gosh. This incentivizes yeah. me because I'm like, wow, this is how engaged in life that I... Yeah. I got to be a part of, yeah. and now I'm just sitting yeah. at home waiting. For All tour. right, so we're gonna do rapid fire. Okay, first, I want you to be true to yourself and say Uh-oh. the first thing that comes out. This is not gonna get. This is not a get you rapid fire round. I'm gonna do that. This is called private. girl with no job gets no. me in trouble. <laughs> no, I know this one. This will be pretty tame. Okay, ready? Okay. Favorite theater that I ever played in. Yeah. Or just in general. Okay. Favorite. <laughs> Oh, okay. That was the true uh, relationship. Yeah, that, you just saw it after yeah. an hour. It actually you said, came off. Be, you said be truthful, and I did. I honored it. Um, okay, favorite theater. Does Red Rocks count as a theater? No. That's, that's, okay. a, that's an amphitheater. That's an outdoor. But it's a theater. So favorite, favorite theater. Red Rocks. Okay, favorite theater. Um, golly. Carnegie Hall is pretty hard. That's a tough one to beat. Yeah. Can you list some to jar my memory? But Carnegie Hall is well, that Ryman. Like Ryman's the Orpheum amazing. in LA. Every Orpheum oh my you've ever gosh, played. The Orpheum. That one in San Francisco. What wow. was that venue in San Francisco? The one in Boston. The Orpheum oh, in Boston. The Orpheum in Boston. Oh, one of my favorite shows ever. Okay, I'm breaking it. Okay, the yeah. rules. okay, favorite yeah. city to play. Hmm. The hardest thing to do in Lauren Daigle's life is to nail her down to one thing. Yeah, I, that's really hard. Favorite city to play? I don't have one. New Orleans. Easy answer. Favorite song to sing off Look Up Child? Only one. Love Like This. Favorite song that you recorded on Look Up Child? Um, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Favorite festival? 
Lollapalooza. <laughs> Tied with Austin City Limits. <laughs> <laughs> One word to describe your red hair face. Epic. <laughs> really? Um, uh, and when's the next record coming? Did you already ask that question? <laughs> We're just trying to drive it back. We're okay. trying to drive it home. No, I'm just 2021. playing. I'm just playing. I need y'all to hurry up and work, okay? We got oh, some, oh, yeah, we got some album art that needs to be us. done All right, soon. I, I'm going I'm to make a final word because I don't ever get to be on the podcast and I get I have the mic in front of me, oh, so I'm going to wow. say it. Um, and then you need to read an outro. That's how this works. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just want to tell you I love you and I'm really proud of you. And looking over this timeline, I had so many memories. Um, but more than anything, I think what I would love as your friend and as your partner in this the thing I would want people to know about you that they might not know is how hard of a worker you are and how oh, wow. much you, when you choose to like put your foot down, you plow and you work really hard. Oh. And I'm proud to partner with you in that. I love doing this with you. But I think that that is one of, there's many great things that you put out in the world, but like you really, looking at, you can't look at this timeline and look back and think, well, she kind of slacked off. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and thank you, you and you are a leader. And you thank know that. you, Lee. Thank you, thank you, thank yeah. you. And the other day, I went to the dermatologist, and she's like, "See, do you want to put Botox on those crow's feet or whatever they're called?" And I was like, "No." And you want to know why I said no? Yeah. I said because that's how many smiles I had over the past couple of years. Like these lines are permanent lines because yeah. of the smiles and the things that we get to be a part of. It's just, it is insane. Yeah. Like looking, like in the humblest way, yeah. this has been unreal yeah and it really it's so weird that it still feels like the beginning in some ways it is it is we're just scratching the surface yeah we're just scratching we the surface i know <laughs> <laughs> i do feel invigorated to write another record for the record yes it's <laughs> crazy That's awesome. lee i'm grateful to do this with you this is fun i love you i love you too i'm so glad that my friend lee got to join me this is special and just reflecting on the way that the time was spent and how life looked, holy cow, my mind is blown. But none of this can happen without good team and good partnership. So I am so grateful that you've been able to join Thank me you. today. Lee Holt, everybody. <laughs> Yay. Thank you so much for listening to Daigle Bites. Make sure you send me your questions to podcast at laurendaigle.com. And I will talk to you again soon. Thanks, everybody. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Daigle Bites ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. 
For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. Inspired by the hit podcast American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Each chapter will bring you inside the fierce power struggles, the world-altering decisions, and shocking scandals that have shaped our nation. You'll be there when the very foundations of the White House are laid in 1792, and you'll watch as the British burn it down in 1814. Then you'll hear the intimate conversations between FDR and Winston Churchill as they make plans to defeat Nazi forces in 1941. And you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. Pre-order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital editions wherever you get your books.